Hello, I'm Mark Geary, host of You Think That's Funny, the podcast where I am the arbiter of all that is funny. Um, You can look at the title, You Think That's Funny, as either a question or an accusation. It depends on the aggressiveness of your own personal manner. Uh, For links related to this week's podcast, please go to youthinkthatsfunnypodcast.com where you can find any links or things that we mention uh, to follow up on. All right, Uh, hopefully I got the intro right for once this week. On this week's show, we have a personal uh, hero of mine, not... (laughs) Not to make it any weirder than it is out of the gate. Uh, Jennifer Estlin, who is the is an actress and the driving force behind the Chicago comedy legend that is the Annoyance Theater. Uh, welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, uh, glad to have you. And just in, in full disclosure here, uh, I might be a little fanboyish. Uh, for ever since I've been in Chicago, I've admired the ethos and achievements of annoyance for a long time. And uh, a lot of the Lincoln Lodge uh, model is so blatantly ripped off how annoyance does things, it's almost embarrassing. Um, but anyway, that's, that's that over with. So, uh, Jennifer... Um, are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready to go. Let's talk about what Jennifer Eslin finds funny. Um, so I want to start off with one that is definitely uh, unique. Um, we've got at, uh, Jennifer, a time I made a complete fool of myself at SeaWorld. Funny now, but not then. Please elaborate. Uh, I, I figured you'd probably go ahead and ask on this one. So this was um, the, the summer following my sophomore year of college. And my friend Alan had come in to visit in Ohio where I live. And we decided to spend a day at SeaWorld. And for some reason, I think it was the end of the season. So there weren't that many people there and, and many of the exhibits had closed down. So instead of the usual way it is at SeaWorld where everybody's all spread out around the park, everybody was moving Um, through the park at the same time at the same exhibit. There was only one thing at a time. So we started with the the big uh, sea lion show where they have the trainers and the the sea lions are trained and all of that. And I said, let's sit far back because I don't wanna have to participate. Well, a few minutes later, they asked for audience participation and we both sort of shrank in our seats and I'll be damned if the guy doesn't come straight to me and says, hey, what's your name? And so I was trying to think fast. And so I said, Melissa. (laughs) And he brought me, my friend is just laughing his ass off. So he brought me down to uh, be part of the show. And what I had to do was try to distract Mr. Mean from hurting the sea lions. And the way that I had to distract Mr. Mean was by dancing. And so he made me stand on this stupid pedestal and he's screaming dance melissa dance and i'm dancing and feeling like a complete idiot and so embarrassed and horrified like it wasn't even fun horrified it was bad horrified and then the sea lion had to kiss me which was disgusting if you can imagine like the biggest (laughs) tongue you've ever seen just slurping all over your face but you were in college though i mean you you must have had some, some knowledge of what that would feel like right so this is not the bad part yet so 
I go back, I slink back to my seat and just trying to live it down. And then finally the show's over and we all en masse go to the next show because everyone's traveling together. And all these people on the way are laughing at me and saying, hey, Melissa. <laughs> so we get to the next show and I'm like, we're sitting as far back as possible. So we go way up into the bleachers and it's the water skiing show. And we're just kind of talking and watching watching as they set up and there are um, some clowns on the beach kind of doing the setup and everything. And they're, they're working on getting the boats turned over and ready for the water skiing. And there's one sort of like little clown who looked sort of weak and kept trying to push this one boat up and over and couldn't get it up. And I, I kind of, I'm watching and I said to Alan, why isn't anyone helping that guy? And still nobody bothers to help and they're still setting up. And all of a sudden I notice the little clown pushes the boat up and it and falls down underneath it. And I started screaming, oh my God, oh my God, someone help him. And I took my purse, I don't know why, and I threw it backwards and went just scrambling down the bleachers, ran all the way down to the beach. And Alan believed me and decided to come running with me. And we get to the beach and I'm pushing at the boat and saying, someone help us, someone help us, he's stuck. And they look at me and they're like, lady, it's part of the show. The show was already in progress. And I just, I don't know why. I had no idea. I was so certain <laughs> that clown was hurt. So I had to go back to my seat and then back even further to get my purse and all the stuff that fell out of it. And everybody's going, way to go, Melissa. <laughs> and it was so horrifying that we, we left SeaWorld. I was just like, I don't want to talk about it. Just don't even talk to me. And we get in the car and we're driving in complete silence. And then all of a sudden I just started to giggle. Like I, I was far enough away that it was kind of okay. And it got to the point where we had to pull off the highway and just sat on the, the shoulder of the highway laughing until we were crying. And to this day, my friend calls me Melissa. What Okay, this is not the question you might expect from that, uh, the, from that tale, but what was the significance of Melissa? I don't know. It was just a name that came to me in the moment that I didn't want to be myself. So Melissa was the next best thing, I guess. But but you 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 eventually became an actress. So in in, in many ways, that SeaWorld was you know that was everything. That was method. That was character based. I mean, you must uh, you must look back and go, that was my entree. Well, thank you very much for finding the silver lining in that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, uh, so I started doing some research and I thought, okay, SeaWorld, I don't really know much about SeaWorld because I've never been there. And I, and I put, you know, SeaWorld video or whatever. And it's just this awful, uh, just every SeaWorld video is a killer whale mauling one of its handlers. Or there's one where they eat a pelican that lands on the on the thing. And I was like, this is like kids are seeing this. Have you tried looking up videos to SeaWorld? It's, it's uh, horrendous. It's, it can be pretty. It's pretty <laughs> horrifying. It's, uh, there are definite, you know, it's Midwest entertainment. What can I say? Well, hang on. I thought SeaWorld, you confused me. I thought SeaWorld was in Florida. No? 
They're actually all over the country. I'm sure there's one in Florida as well. Oh, right. Okay. I was like, man, that is, you had a long drive to get back to SeaWorld. So, okay, Ohio SeaWorld. Okay. Melissa in SeaWorld. Well, that was as good as I uh, was hoping it was going to be. If you uh... so, have you been back to SeaWorld since? I guess would never. Be I will case. never go there again. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, like, would it be fun if you walk through the gates and they're like, "Oh my God, are you Melissa?" Um, you're probably yeah. You got to be like a legend in the back rooms of SeaWorld, right? At I'm sure point. those clowns have a good time talking about me. <laughs> Actually, I I have um this I have a same um issue uh with that you have in that I am always the one at the back going, please don't pick me for any sort of interaction, and it's like the smell of fear on you makes you more likely to be picked, right? Yeah, it's something like what cats do. You know, the cats always find cats always find the people that don't like them. Yeah. That's the that must be what it is. Because I'm I, funny enough, I'm good with cats, but not good with avoiding being picked. One time, uh, I went to New Zealand, and you know, like uh, the native New Zealand people, Maoris, have a war dance called the haka. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay, so it's like this. It's a ancient uh, and it's like a tribal dance that it's like a, a a dance of respect for your enemy so if you go to, or or a, or a visitor so if you go to a, a maori village uh, the village comes out and greets you with this hacker which is like a fearless it's like a a dance meant to inspire fear so guess who they picked to lead the hacker when oh, we went to, to the Maori. The, the mousy, fat Englishman who does not want to be seen. So that's why I like that story, because at least it gives me someone to empathize with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Let's get on to your next one. Okay. Oh, this I'm going to skip ahead another one. Watching people break up or just have a bad time together in restaurants. So have you got a couple of examples to really set the table on that one? You know, I used to live in college also. I lived across the street from a, a restaurant that's no longer there called Yesterday's. And for some reason, it was it was like the the official breakup place. And it no matter when I went, it seemed like there was always one couple in a booth and one, the girl would start crying usually. And then the guy would get all pissed off. And I can't even say that there was anything specific that I saw, but it just cracked me up that it was all the time at that one restaurant. And then ever since then, I kind of look for it in restaurants. Um, <laughs> it's a sick sense of enjoyment of pe watching people do something that's so private in such a public place. And then the awkwardness, when the waitress comes over and they have to stop and be polite and engage with the waitress while they're clearly in the most horrific part of their relationship. And then usually one of them leaves earlier than the other. And then the other's just sitting there looking dopey. And I don't know, I, it's a sick, a sick sort of humor, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, again, I got a connection with you on this one because, um, I used to live next to Bur Do you remember Burgundy Inn on Ashland? It was kind of famous. I, think. I don't. 
Um, anyway, I live next door to it. So we went there. Uh, I went there with my girlfriend on Valentine's Day once. And it was the worst atmosphere I've ever experienced in a restaurant. It was literally every table except ours was filled with like angsty tension it was glorious and then halfway through our meal the guy at the table next to us got down on one knee to propose and the look on on his girlfriend's face was the most embarrassed I've ever seen a human being she was literally like I could hear her going stop stop under her breath to him as he like did this momentous uh uh gesture it was it was glorious oh, no. I, I i love like you've like really nailed two of the ones that i have as well um i wish i that would be great i would love to see a proposal that that didn't hit that would be that would be really good <laughs> I'll, I'll, when we hang up i'll go to youtube there's got to be like a mega mix of that thing right there's yeah, gotta that's be a good idea. like a rejection on the jumbotron. Why do people propose on a jumbotron? Come on. I don't know. Have you have you ever so you've been running um live performance now for like twenty plus years? Twenty yeah, well, we don't know the, we don't need the exact. Amount. We don't need no no no. Ne- <laughs> neither of us need to have that out there. But have, what? So have you ever had anything like that at a? Have you ever had like a public breakup in the middle of a show or anything just staggering? Not breakup. Um, we had we've had at the annoyance several proposals, and uh, once when I was touring with Second City. It, a guy arranged ahead of time to propose during our tour co show, which I thought was really weird, but that's what they wanted to do. So yeah, we most of the co-ed prison sluts for some reason was like a magnet for people wanting to propose, I guess, because it was so out there and they were like, who would propose at co-ed prison sluts? But one that was really cool was someone who did it in our really early years when we were back on Broadway in Lakeview, um, came back when we were on Belmont uh, more recently with the woman that he had proposed to. Then now they were married and they had kids and they came back with the kids who I think were like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, it was fun for all of us because I actually did remember them. I remembered the couple and, you know, they had to remind me who they were, but then I, I recognized them right away and that was really cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. We, we had someone who met and got married at, at the lodge and then three years later was divorced. <laughs> and of course, I didn't know that when he walked through the door the next time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, where's the missus? And he's like, uh, not the missus anymore. So we so, we can sort of match you, but we, we don't have the staying well, power of annoyance. Yeah. And I'll confess, too, that I used to be married to someone else. And that person proposed to me at a comedy club. And that ended in divorce as well. So I don't recommend it. (laughs) That's a weird atmosphere for, I always think like comedy to me is like a a grenade that you kind of toss in a room and, and see what happens. So a proposal and first dates and things in comedy just seemed like a nightmare to me. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I guess people feel like they, you know, they've they've experienced it and had a good time and laughed there, so it seems like it would be a good idea. 
but they should rethink it. <laughs> definitely should re. I mean, that's just like laying your soul bare. Like, okay, what what are they gonna laugh at? And and yeah. then and then uh, I don't know. It, it just seems like the most inappropriate first date place to me is is a comedy show, and yet it happens all the time. Okay, so let's let's move on to the next one. I'm doing. Um, okay. People falling asleep inappropriately. So set the table for what that means and and what's the fun part. Well, the pandemic has been awesome for this one because people fall asleep on Zoom calls, my dad especially, and it just cracks me up. And I just think it's hilarious when somebody's there on camera just completely asleep. But uh one of my favorite ones was uh, at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh many, many years ago. And we were in, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced a Fringe Festival, but there's just probably way too many shows. And some of them are, you know, sometimes you find an amazing little one that you'd never think you would have ever discovered. And then sometimes you just find the worst thing on earth and think, how did this get here? So I was there with an, an ensemble of people who had done a show and we had a night off. And so we just randomly picked a show and went into this theater. And I think there were maybe two other people there besides us. So that would be nine people total in the audience spread out. And we spread out to try to make the performers feel better. And it was, I think it, it was Gorky's The Lower Depths. And I can remember the guy, the, the guy standing outside just screaming over and over, The Lower Depths! The Lower Depths! <laughs> <laughs> a Brit. And so we go in and we're watching and it's the most god awful, boring garbage piece of garbage that I've ever seen. And, re and it's really, really warm in there. And we're trying really hard, but it's actually that same guy, Alan, who was just, <laughs> he fell asleep. <laughs> Alan's and like your talisman. He is. Your, your talisman. So. <laughs> uh, but he fell asleep and <laughs> For some reason, when he woke up, I think he was having a bad dream or something, but he happened to wake up in the midst of this very, very dramatic monologue that, that then there was like a silence. And the way that he woke up was with this sound. He went, <laughs> and it completely filled the theater. And I, I saw him doing it and just lost it laughing and pretty much was unable to stop laughing for the rest of the performance, just hiding my face in my legs and trying to get through it. Uh, and of course, everybody else there had seen it too because it was the only interesting thing happening. Uh, uh, I feel, I do feel sorry for those performers and if any of them are listening, I apologize, that was rude. <laughs> I saw an actual producer of the show fall asleep at his own show one time, that was quite spectacular. And a very, well, you know, a very loud snorer at that. Yeah. Another famous uh, sleeper in shows was Joyce Sloan from Second City, who used to own Second City years ago. And it was just, uh, she used to have a seat on the bench um, that was at the side of the room. And it was sort of Joyce's bench. Everybody knew that would be where she would sit if she came and watched a show. But it was also like people would make bets during which scene Joyce would fall asleep because there was no question that she was going to fall asleep. Um, but she, she was a quiet waker, so it was okay. Oh, God. Oh, dear. 
Um, okay, so that that is that. So, all right, we're building up to to another biggie here. So everyone, uh, I think you know which one I'm going to pick next. Um, the one that I think a lot of people are going to relate to is uh, my mother answering questions like an expert when she doesn't know the answer. I, I assume that's like a, just a, a limitless font of of genius, right? It is completely limitless, and she still does it. And it's now it's really in. It used to be such a thing that I would. I would learn, unfortunately, that the thing that she had told me wasn't true because I would assert something and then people would look at me like, what are you talking about? And I'd say, well, my mom told me. And then people would say, okay, well, your mom's out of her mind and you're making an ass of yourself. But she would, if I asked her something, she would just make something up and then never tell me that it was made up only to leave me to find out in the worst way possible later. So it it became known among my friends as pulling a Judy because if I, because unfortunately I also inherited the habit and I would start to do the same thing where somebody would ask me something and rather than saying, I don't know, I just start to make shit up. And then friends will look at me and, and say, you're pulling a Judy right now, aren't you? And then I have to sort of shrug my shoulders and admit that, yes, I am completely making up what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hasn't the uh, internet kind of w ruined that, uh, joyous skill though now because i feel like the knowledge is there it's like five seconds away right completely yes yeah i mean it used to be that you could at least leave somebody in the dark for a night or two before they'd get to the library to research anything so now no it's immediate you people find out if you're telling <laughs> telling a judy they find out right away because I got I I did I did something similar to that, but I spun it out over two decades. Um, so you know the song uh, "If You're Going to San Francisco," Scott McKenzie. It's like that song. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear flowers in your hair. That's the best rendition of it ever. <laughs> anyway, it was like a, a one-hit wonder, number one, and a friend of mine played in a band with a guy called Mackenzie and his dad told him his son who was in a band with my friend that he was the Scott Mackenzie that had this worldwide number one hit in the 60s now this guy was like um i don't know if he was scottish he was from coventry which is like in england and he told his entire family, somehow, they believed that he was the singer of that song. And it got passed to my friend, to me. And for 20 years, I walked around telling everyone that that song, which was actually done inevitably by a Californian hippie, American guy, Scott McKenzie, was made actually made by a coal miner from Coventry or something. And like... it. It lasted 20 years, and I only found out about it. Eventually, the guy died, and that's when his family found out he'd been full of shit his entire life wow. and been lying that he'd had number one. But that's, like, amazing. Like, if you could pull something like that off, his, in, his that is amazing. actual family members were believing this bullshit fact 
And I only found that out uh, 20 years later. Anyway, sorry, that was... That's uh, incredible. That, yeah, that was... That was a, uh, I was like, oh, man, I wish I could just do that once. So that, you know, when I kick the bucket, everyone just finds out about it. Be awesome. Anyway, I am rambling rubbish at this point. So let's, um, so we've, uh, we've been doing this a few weeks now and there's one, uh, more thing that I wanted to talk about on your list, at least, um, it came up before, but I think it's limitless, um, watching extras overacting movies and commercials. Now you are an actress. I, uh, research, I saw the, um, the Conan clip. And I did the reel and everything. So I know, Jennifer Esslin, you're an actress for a fact. So uh, tell us some stories or, or give us the background on the extras deal. Well, my favorite is is on cop shows because for some reason, extras on cop shows feel like they, it looks like they feel like they have to be very dramatic rather than just having an average conversation. Law and Order is, is great for it. If you watch scenes in Law and Order and, and you watch the, the extras, they're usually like in a coffee shop or a deli or whatever, but they're having these really intense conversations and completely drawing focus from the scene. But my very favorite thing is when you see extras and both of them are determined to show up on camera well so what they do is they're both talking at the same time and they're probably mouthing things or speaking very quietly, but they're both doing it at the exact same time. So obviously a conversation can't be happening, but they're determined to both be speaking on film. I'm not sure why, but that's one of my favorite things to find. It just cracks me up that. And, you know, when you find some like some extra who's just decided to be very inventive and do something they think is like, oh, this will really add to the scene. And of course it detracts from the scene because nobody should be watching them anyway. But it's it's just joyful sometimes to watch. And, and in movies as well, especially like with movies with giant crowd scenes. And so people just think like, oh, I'm just one among this giant crowd. Nobody's going to see me do this, that, or the other thing. And and of course you see them and it's hilarious and not it doesn't fit the time period or it doesn't fit the movie itself. Huh. It's just joyful to watch. Because I've never been on, I've never acted, I've never been on a set, but I assume there were all these, like, safety guards in place. You know, the director with the, the megaphone and the large trousers is like, what the hell is that person doing? Get them off. Get them oh, off completely. Yeah. There is. There's, you know, there's an extra wrangler usually. and But the thing is, like, unless they're doing something so egregious that it's worth it to stop the take... The extras wrangler is never going to stop the take because it's just going to piss the director off and it's going to piss the actors off who have to do another take of the scene and everything. So they just let it go. So yeah. all kinds of stuff slides by, which is awesome. <laughs> do you, I mean, is it like accidental or at some point are the extras just like, you know what, we're going to have some fun today. Let's let's see what we can get away with kind of thing. Probably I think not. You see right? a little bit. Yeah, I think you see a little bit of both. You know, there's definitely people who are like, I'll be damned if I'm not going to make my mark or they think that somehow they're going to be upgraded to speaking a line or something. Hmm. And, uh, and, and God bless. I mean, I've done extra work. It sucks. It's the worst experience. Everyone should do it at least once, just so you understand what the experience is. Um, Jury duty of the, uh, of the arts world. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
All right, well, um, that's that's where we're going to park the funny for now. And now we're going to just ask, uh, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things that, are, that relate to what we've discussed. So, um, Did you just say park the bunny? Funny. Oh, funny. Okay. Funny. I was like, what is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just the good thing about being English is you can just just ramble shit. And so, no, that's it's a common expression around our way. Uh, <laughs> and, and people are like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but no, that was not. That was just me uh, speaking badly, not enunciating. So um, let's talk about how... Is there anything of like the funny things that have that that you find funny? Well, you're a comedy producer, so this is almost a no-brainer. Like, how do you employ what you find funny in what you do, sort of professionally? Well, to a large degree, it's it's not necessarily what I find funny, um, and I think it would be super boring if it were. I think that the annoyance wouldn't be what it is. And it's not necessarily what Mick finds funny. Mick is the artistic director as well as my husband. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, we try to make sure that it's something that the people that are at the theater will find funny. So for instance, when we have submissions meetings for shows that are submitted to the theater, we always make sure to have at least four or five, if not seven to 10 people in the room and often what will happen is we'll read a submission and everybody will laugh at the submission sort of like oh my god that's crazy or uh, you know laugh at it in a way of like there's no way but then we'll always say well it made us all laugh and then we'll go ahead and do it because sometimes it's those things that are just like there's no way we could do this or the the description is insane and ridiculous but then it's also funny so um you know we try to make sure that there's there's a lot of influence from the people around us and different ages, different types, uh, different backgrounds who are helping to make the decisions. And sometimes it's just taking a risk, you know, like yeah. this doesn't really sound funny, but we know this person and we've seen what they do and generally their stuff is funny. So let's just give it a chance. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's the, that sort of, uh, annoyance flagship, uh, ethos right is just let's give it a try let's take a risk um yeah um i mean that that's what i have always known it for i don't move so much in the the improv sketch world obviously i have seen a lot of shows at, at annoyance but um but you so you never seek to sort of introduce your flavor to it other than just hey i'm here i'm a voice kind of thing no i mean i i I, I attempt to be the, the kind of producer that is producing for the theater at large, rather than like, this is my vision or this is Mick's vision necessarily. Yeah. Um, other than that Mick's vision from the get-go of the annoyance has always been anybody can put anything they want on stage as long as it's not racist or misogynistic or, yeah. you know, in other way harmful to people. Yeah. And so in that way, we've, we've been been super lucky really um about all kinds of stuff that's been on the stage that has taken us by surprise that people liked it so much you know all the way back to um when we did the real live brady bunch which was one of our first really mega hits that sort of put us on the map um that at the time when they 
when they suggested it, the Soloway sisters suggested it to Mick and he was like, well, it sounds really dumb, but I don't care, we'll do it. Um, and you know, then it, who knew that it would end up being something as big as it was. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, I think we've we've uh, we've done our diligence here, <laughs> and in looking we've, at the funny um, upcoming. So we we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, what's the future for annoyance given uh, the present situation? Now that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't know exactly. We feel like we have a, a, a good shot at, at reopening. Uh, a lot will depend on whether or not the government gets their shit together to, to put this grant out that is so important to small, small venues around the country. Mm. Um, and once that happens, as well as a, a decent amount of the population is vaccinated, we feel like we can look to opening back up. Uh, someone asked me if I had to guess yesterday when that would be, and I said, I'm guessing sometime around June or July, you know, mid-June or July. Um, And that's hopeful, you know, I think that's, that's if things go pretty well. Yeah. But I feel like we have a good reason to be hopeful at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's nice to end on a message of hope. Um, Thank you again for being uh, my guest on You Think That's Funny, the podcast. Um, Thanks again, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Nice to speak with you. You too. Uh, that's been uh, this week's show. As usual, I've completely forgotten all of the things that I meant to mention at the end of a podcast. So we will go to our jangly guitar uh, exit music, and eventually I am going to remember what to say at the end. Thanks for listening.